Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. We're leaving Romans for a moment here. Turn to Isaiah chapter 10 for just a moment. Isaiah chapter 10. This is a very interesting passage because he's speaking here and then soon he's going to unleash the Assyrians on the Jews because the Jews were just so godless at the time and so he's using another nation to come against the Jews. But in Isaiah chapter 10, here's what he reads. Here's what it reads. Isaiah says this, Woe to those who, in verse 1, Woe to those who enact evil statutes and to those who constantly record unjust decisions so as to deprive the needy of justice and rob the poor of my people of their rights. Now, ponder that for a moment. Woe to those who are stripping his people of the rights that they should have. It goes on a little bit further. And it says, so that the widows may be their spoil, going after the poor, the ones that can't fight back, and that they may plunder the orphans. Now, what will you do in the day of punishment, in the devastation which will come from afar? Again, talking about the Assyrians that are going to come in. To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your wealth? So the whole idea, again, is that those that are in authority, when they're not judging correctly, there will be judgment placed upon them as well. So human government are to be servants, ministers of God. And keep that in mind. I'll leave you with one other thought. A little bit later on in Romans, it says the word minister there again. But this time it changes the word. It doesn't use the word deacon like a servant. It puts a different word in there. It's a word that we get the word liturgy or liturgy or worship. The idea of serving, actually knowing that this is a form of an act to God. So I'm wondering if perhaps way back, the very beginning when we were inaugurating our first president, and there on that special day, he was now saying his oath of office. And they said, raise your right hand and put your left hand where? On the Bible. That it was in some show that what was going to happen is that this man was now going to represent God to the people, not religiously, but the principles of right and wrong and honesty and decency, which we'll talk about in a moment. And at the same time, helping the people to live according to scripture, but himself being that kind of mediator between it all, understanding the value that he is a servant of God. Watch this. He's a servant of God and the best way he serves God is by serving the people. We'll talk about that in a moment. Well, now it brings up another particular question. And that question is, is how long does civil government really last? Civil government is only temporary. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says that eventually it will be abolished or it will morph or like what happened, other countries will come in and take us over or take that country over and it happens all the time. So government is only temporary, but I'd like you to look at it in the longer scheme of God's time period. There will be a time that we will have perfect rule here on this earth. Because it'll be Jesus Christ who already is Lord, but he will set up his kingdom rule here and his subjects will all be following under him until the end of that thousand years. So it's only temporary and so we can make it. We know that this is only our temporary place because we have a home in heaven and everything will be made right in the future. Well, let's look at the second principle. We talked about the first one being we have to understand the nature. So primarily the nature is that servants of God they are and that the government is only temporary. Jesus Christ is the ultimate king and he will actually be kingly ruling here. 
in the future. But second is we should appreciate the main ministry or purpose of government, the main ministry or purpose of government. Now you might say, well, Stan, you said purpose at the beginning and now you're saying ministry purpose. Are you doing a play on words? Yeah, I am. But I think maybe you'll track with me on it. Remember a moment ago we were talking about how that these leaders are now to be ministers of God? If they're to be ministers of God, then their ministry is going to be all the people that they're serving. So they're to look upon us and our needs and what do we need to do so we can peacefully coexist and not have our rights infringed upon. Not that one person has all the rights and the other one doesn't. So yeah, we might have to um, kind of rein in some of what we think are rights, but it's all for the greater good for one another, but not one group over another group, and they're serving that group to do that. So that's why it's, it's a purpose, but it's also a ministry, so that we are able to function here until we get there in heaven. So what is it? Why did God establish all of this? Well, let's give you one big answer, and that is government is to protect and serve its citizenship. Government is to protect and serve its citizenship. And I've read you those verses so you see them, but maybe a big thing for some of you. Um, how many of you have ever been up close and personal to a police car? I don't mean you ran into one now. I'm talking about you got up close and personal. In many communities across the United States, I haven't seen any police cruisers up close here in Honolulu. Isn't that interesting? In 10 or 11 years, at least, where I've paid attention to this. But most of them in other communities... Right on the police car, it'll say they are to protect and serve. If that's correct, and you've seen that somewhere, maybe even here, and you know that to be true, would you raise your hand if you've seen that? Look at all the hands. So again, that whole concept is they're to protect and they are to serve. So with that, I want to answer, how are they to protect and serve? If this is our government and we're to submit to them, how can we look to them to protect and serve us? Here's a couple ways that are biblical. First of all, they're to protect our personal and property rights. Personal would be my safety, my wife's safety, my family's safety against people coming in and doing bodily harm to me, but also my property rights. God has allowed us to own things. Now, I know that's hard for the deeper leaper, super sweet spiritual people. I get that, that everything belongs to God. He's loaned it to us. But in a sense, we still own that legally in a system that we have. And so their job is to help us maintain our personal and our property rights. Now, if you'd like, you can mark down the reference, Exodus chapter 20, 14 through 17. And here's why that's important. If I took you all the way back to the Old Testament, you know you'll hear about Moses and you hear about all the laws that were established, but most of the time we hear about the Ten Commandments, as we should. In fact, it's referred to as the Decalogue. Dozen means twelve, Deca ten, Decalogue, ten laws. And they kind of encapsulate in basic principle all the other laws that were given to the children of Israel. And those laws primarily deal with not only the upward relationship with the sacrifices with God, but also with how to treat other people and God's creation, including animals, etc. So again, animals are generally a person's possession. So that's property. All right? And then, of course, we have you don't steal. You don't steal someone else's wife. Okay? So that's all part of property and personal life. And so we see that God has set that up. And whatever form of government that's out there, that's part of what they should be doing, is taking care of personal and property rights. It's all in there. Next, they're to provide conflict resolution between people. Now, I got thinking a lot about that, and I was wondering, how, how, could I, how does that show up in Scripture? You know, we've got the protect and serve aspect because we have the laws. Now they need to be enforced, and we see that in the Old Testament pretty dramatically, wouldn't you agree? 
But now what about the aspect of conflict resolution? And it came to me in this passage of scripture. Some of you will probably remember this. Again, going back to Moses, because primarily from the time of of um, the flood, and then you get into Moses' time, that's what we call the, um, the dispensation of human government. So God was establishing then. There was no government before the flood. Or there are nations, but no known governments that I know of. So it really happened at the time of the flood, or since the flood. So you have human government. So now here's what Moses says. Moses is the one who brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He was the go-to guy, him and Aaron, for God to the people, and then he would bring the people's issues to God. And there were so many of these millions of Jews out there in a very challenged part of the world with a lot of desert going on. They didn't really have their own major land yet. So what was happening is a lot of conflict was going on. It happens and you just go camping. You've got conflict with your kids, you know. Some of you will have a conflict of where to go eat after the service today. So there's going to be normal conflict that goes on. So what did he do? Here's what he said, and I'm going to read this scripture here because it's so powerful, and this is what part of government is. He would be, in a sense, the first model of government in handling conflict resolution. It's found in scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, and here's what it says. Moses speaking, he says, but how can I bear your problems slash conflicts and your burdens and your disputes, more conflicts, all by myself? I can't handle that by myself. No one person could. It's just impossible. And then it says, here's what you do. You choose wise, understanding, and respected men. Wise, understanding, and respected men. Now, he didn't say, I'm picking them. They're my boys. And so now he has this, this a group of guys that are his cronies, and he can now run over the people. He says, no, no, here's what I want. You pick the guys. You have the freedom to do that. But when you do, they've got to have certain qualities. Not that they're rich, not that they're poor, not that they're intelligent, not that they're stupid. All they had to do is they had to be people of great character, men of great character. Wise, understanding, respected means that people would look at them and they would trust them. All right, that's what respected basically means. Then he says, and I will set them, the one you picked over, based on these guidelines, and what were they supposed to do? Those guys are going to sit there, and now they would help resolve the disputes and the conflicts. And that's how you grease the machine so that you will reduce conflicts, or maybe even eliminate it for, for the most part, so that you have a free-running government of peace again when you have that in place. So you have the laws, you have the godly men that are respected by others, You then set them up to answer those disputes and then you have to enforce them, which brings us to number three. You have to punish the lawbreakers. You have to punish the lawbreakers. Now, I'm very pleased when I hear stories and some communities do that. The police officer is following along behind you and he notices that for a long time you you kept the speed limit or you did something really good. He throws on his lights, he pulls you over and he gives you a little ticket or something And that ticket is nothing more than a little praise report for doing something good. I I get all of that. That's good. Reward, motivation. Works out really good. I'd much rather have him give me a hundred bucks, but a ticket like that is fine. Back to this, though. However, there are three ways that they deal with uh, punishing those that are evildoers. Number one, they will fine them. They'll be fined. The penalty of a fine of some type. Now, some of them may be asked to do special work or uh, they painted graffiti and it was against the law and they caught them and they make them repair all of that, but there's a fine involved. Secondly is incarceration. 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 Now, um, for a moment here, I, I'd just like to tell you that what I'm thinking about today, when I did a study on incarceration, I really do not see a lot of incarceration in Scripture. I get it with Joseph. 
I get it with some Jeremiah and a couple others where they grabbed him and they held him against their will to be in some place. I get it with, with, with Paul. But in reality of just human government, I don't see a lot of it. But I see a lot of it beginning in the 1800s in the United States. Do you know this fact? Without numbers, just general statement. We have the most prisons and jails of any country in the world. Part of that is because we're so wide of a country and there's salt and peppered all over the country. But the second what will get you is that we have the most people incarcerated in all the world. And we're supposed to be the most Christian who now has the Holy Spirit and have a book to follow and people associate to help us and coach us and kind of keep us within bounds. And yet this is what's happening. But that's part of it. And then finally, capital punishment. Capital punishment. Now, you probably want me to speak to that issue, and I won't today, but maybe some other time I will. I do want you to know that capital punishment was established, watch this, when um, during the time of Noah, the world was so bad, he instituted his own capital punishment, and you ought to read how they were so depraved, they were so wicked, that there was not one person who did anything at all good. The depravity was rampant throughout all of humanity. Catch it. All of humanity was so rampant. And so the Lord selected Noah and his family and rescued them. You read the book, you saw the movie, whatever. So you saw that happen. And so that was massive capital punishment by God. So in a sense, that was established already by God in the first mentioned principle of hermeneutics. When you got out of that, in um, Genesis 9, we start seeing capital punishment in verse 6, where he says, if you take a man's life, then your life shall be shed as well. So capital punishment is there. Now, that is a form of dealing with the ones who catch this phrase, practices evil. Did you catch that in scripture? It's not nearly, merely a one-time act. It's the idea of practices or practicing. Or this person is so incorrigible that the fines didn't work, the, in, the incarceration didn't work, the horrific amount of destruction that was done by that person, perhaps over and over again, now the hammer comes down hard. In fact, it says judgment, wrath. And God says, it's okay. That's how you're going to control the rest of humanity. If you can't control them, at least protect them from that. Enough said about that, but I will tell you, it's, um, I'm glad we have people like that. Uh, Carol and I, don't know, we're, we live in a strange neighborhood in Kuleo'o. I've got a guy across the street. He's with TSA. Those are the people that inspect you and your luggage when you go through the line and under the plane and all of that. I've got a lady next to us, and uh, they tell me all sorts of stories of what they find, you know, little knives here and knives there. Sometimes they get something really good, like a big load of dope or something, and they find all of that. And I said, you know what? I want to thank the Lord for you. I hate taking off my shoes, my belt. Uh, I hate to get rid of all the guns I carry. You know, I, I hate all of that. But I said, but at the same time, I know that we are relatively, well, let me say it differently. We are more saved today than we were before against the potential of greater things happening because of what they're doing. And I'll tell you, there's a few jobs I don't want to ever have to do in my life, and one of them would be to work for TSA. Because I think it's so, you know, people are already upset to have to do this. They're, you know, they're just, it's all against them. But all those people, all they're doing is serving God by serving us to protect us to do what they have to do. Now that begs the question. What about those mean, nasty, saying people and those policemen that are just so mean when they talk to you? I, I get all of that. What I'm surrendering to is not the person. What I'm surrendering to is God has this in place for me. I'm surrendering to the position of those people. And at times I might surrender to the person even when they're out of whack at that particular moment so that we don't escalate this thing up into something more. And now that'll preach with all this going on in country and police officers, etc. So I'd be very careful with that. 
But God has set that up, and I pray that you and I would show a little bit more respect to, to those who are in government and the value that they have. Well, I'm just about out of time, and I, I've got to finish this today, so let me just go through it real quickly. Number three, why should we... F- you know what? I'm looking at my notes here, and if I race through this stuff, I'm going to feel like I... You're going to miss some really important things. So you know what? We're going to end it right here. But I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. So just don't pack up. Don't, don't pick your purses up. Put your stuff away. Just listen for a moment. There is so much more that we can gain from, from what is in Scripture regarding government. Next week, I want to talk more specifically, what is our responsibility? Not the government's now. What is my responsibility? What am I supposed to do? Why should I do what I'm doing? What did they do in the New Testament, First New Testament church? How did they handle government that was even different than the one that we have today? You need to be here. Your kids need to be taught these principles. I'm going to be reading you some research that I've done that was written during the, uh, shortly after the Bible was finished being written about the attitude of Christians towards government, the attitude that Christians had toward one another and government, and what they did and what they prayed actually about the governments in which they sat, found themselves under. I want you to be here to hear that. Now, if you're not able to be here because you're flying off island, then uh, get it on tape, watch it on YouTube. You've got to get this material here because I want you to be so solid as Christians, as biblical, biblical salt and light correctly in this community for the Lord, especially... In the days ahead, frankly, folks, I, I, I see who's running for office and there's some great, wonderful things I think they're representing. The question is how they're able to do it and the character in which they're going to try to do it and the spirit in which it's being done and all that's out there. Don't read between the lines, folks. I'm just saying that we don't know what next week, next month, next year, next election and post-election things will happen to all of us. But we need to be biblically ready for this and knowing how to handle this in a Christ-like manner where we don't necessarily roll over and play dead, but at the same time, we're not at the front of the line and revolting. Let's pray, shall we? Can you tell I'm passionate about this? I just love the Lord and I love how Scripture just teaches so much on this. But I'd hate for you to be right with the government and wrong with God right now. So I have your head bowed and your eyes closed, so I'm not having you do that for you to think about other thoughts or to lean low and check your Facebook messages. I'm asking you to go to your heart right now. And if you go back to Romans, it said, get your heart right. Realize that you're a sinner. We all are. I I can think of perhaps hundreds of laws that I broke of our own government laws. Not because they were against God, but because I'm a sinner. And I didn't care. And if I didn't break them outwardly, I know I broke them inwardly because I was so disrespectful and rebellious when I did it. That just revealed to me that I'm a sinner. But the good news is that God doesn't leave us in that state of guilt. But Jesus Christ died on a cross. Again by, humanly speaking, wicked men who weren't following proper protocol and yet he knew he would do that he surrendered to that system knowing that through that system and at the very end he would actually will himself dead on the cross so that he could take upon himself the sin of all the world and you right now your sin he died in your place he suffered the consequence of your sin it wasn't a fine It wasn't an incarceration necessarily. 
In a sense, it was almost like capital punishment. And when he died, he satisfied God because of the law we broke in our heart then. And so right now, here's what he would want us to do. He would say, admit that you're a sinner. Admit that Jesus Christ is the Lord who died and rose again. You don't have to understand all of that stuff, but just to know historically that Jesus Christ did die and rise again. And now in reality, he was God-man who did that. Admit that that payment for sin was so perfect that no amount of good deeds we could do ourselves could ever help us get into heaven. Because if we thought that it could, then we'd be saying that he didn't need to die. It was a wasted death. That's not true. So you come to him just as you are as a depraved, lost, needy sinner. And what do you need? Not a better house or a better country to live in, but you need Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sin. And he grants you that immediately and completely. Immediately and completely the moment you trust in him. Now, that's the hard part. Why is it so hard? Because you have to transfer your trust from yourself and your good deeds. A lot of people still want to depend upon something they do themselves or did themselves or will do themselves. Or they want to still count on some other religious thing or some other do-gooder thing. They can't believe it's totally and only by grace. And that's why it's hard because you've got to say no to that and turn from all of that and now place your faith in Christ. Stop trusting yourself in another system to get you to heaven and then just trust Christ as your Savior. Remember, it's not how much faith you have. It is who you have it in. It's got to be Christ. So it's really a mental transaction, but maybe for you, you just want to talk to the Lord about that little mental thing where you're now placing your faith in Christ. And you might say, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross and paying for my sins. I want to thank you that I can know I have eternal life. I want to thank you that my sins are forgiven and that I'll, I'll have this salvation and it'll never be lost. Thank you, thank you for that. But however it is, I pray you're doing that. Maybe today is the day you want to settle your eternal destiny. You know you can't necessarily make our government better. You can't move to another country that might have what you think is a better uh, government. I, I can't either. But maybe you're hopeful that you could get someplace after death and it'd be heaven and you trusted Christ today. And you'd like for me to just know that. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, no one's going to see you do this. I'm going to ask you to slope up your hand. If today was the day that you trusted Christ as your Savior alone, not by works of righteousness, but by faith. Now when you put up your hand, I'm going to say thank you or God bless you. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to have you stand up. No one's going to know it. God will, you will, I will. I'm not going to tell anybody because I'm just going to pray generally about you. But I'd like to know if you trusted Christ. So every head is bowed now. Every eye is closed. If today was the day you trusted Christ as Savior, and since you have, you'd like me to pray for you, would you slip up your hand right now? Is there anyone at all? Anyone at all? Okay, Christians, let's, uh, let's be back next week with our notes and our Bibles, maybe with some questions and a heart ready to learn from the Lord what we should do next. What is our responsibility now to the government that's biblical? Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you that 
you love us so much and you know that we're thrown into a world that's got multiple government styles and we recognize that these government styles have been and morphed all around even as they navigated through their own depravity but yet they're still good in some measure but they only become great when father they are run according to biblical principles I thank you that father that you are bigger than any government system that's out there that you still can navigate us around lead us around all of that so that you can still ultimately fulfill your purpose for us and most of all receive all the glory that you need to get no matter what system we find ourselves under now father I pray that between now and next week that you'll groom and prepare our hearts so that we'll learn how to serve you by serving the government properly and being the citizens you'd have us to be and help me Lord with love and tenderness and truth communicate this to one another so together as a church we would be a lighthouse of godly citizens even in a world that acts so ungodly to do it for your glory in your name we pray amen you're listening to make it clear with the teaching of dr stan pons founder of make it clear ministries and president of florida bible college in beautiful orlando florida Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.